the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock as we begin on a Wednesday. It is the 12th morning of the ninth month of the uh, year of our Lord, 2018. We appreciate you being with us. Two good guests coming up on the program today, coming up at 935. We're going to talk with a man that I always enjoy talking to, but I never enjoy the topic. It's true. Sergeant Demetric Penny is going to be joining us. He is the president of the Dallas, Texas, Fallen Officers Foundation. And uh, he's also a um, uh, doctor of philosophy. And we're going to talk to him uh, coming up at uh, about 935. Every time I talk to Demetric Penny, it's about bad things. Um, he became a very, very well-known and respected national spokesman in support of police officers who have been attacked and hurt and killed in the line of duty uh, back when the a couple of years ago when the um, ambush of uh, uh, Dallas officers led to five cops being murdered. And uh, Sergeant Penny, of course, right in the center of all of that as the president of the Fallen Officers Foundation. So we had to talk to him about that. Uh, every time there is something you know negative involving police, I, you know, I turn to Sergeant Penny in large part. Uh, and now it's another negative story. It's a terrible story. It's a horrific story. It's a tragic story. It's it's just a it, it's such a sad story. And I don't know what to make of it. And of course, I speak of the uh, terrible shooting of a man in uh, Dallas uh, in his own home, uh, in his own apartment rather, by a police officer who apparently mistook the uh, apartment for her own. She lives uh, apparently one floor below this man in the exact same apartment, in an apartment complex where the hallways are exactly the same. She parked her car, according to the uh, report, on the fourth floor of the parking garage instead of the third. 
and she went directly into the hallway from the parking garage and walked down to what should have been her door, her apartment door, tried to key into it, uh, did key into it in a manner of speaking. Apparently the door was slightly ajar, pushed it open, saw a figure there. Okay, Again, this is the... the the indictment hasn't even been made yet by the grand jury. She, she's been arrested. So, you know, obviously all of the facts will come out. At least we hope they will. But this is just what we have as far as the preliminary story that we've gotten, the report, uh, the arrest report. She saw a, a silhouette because it was dark. The lights were off. She saw a silhouette and thought it was a burglar in her apartment and uh, gave him, according to the report, verbal commands that were ignored, as you would imagine they might be if you're sitting in your own apartment and somebody's trying to tell you what to do. You might just be a little bit less than willing to do what you're told. And uh, so she shot him, fired twice, hit him once, and he died. An absolutely horrible, horrible, tragic mistake, if it was a mistake. Because now there are other reports saying that she may have known him, and she may not have just gone to the wrong apartment accidentally. It's a terrible story all the way around. Um and naturally now, there is a racial component to it uh, because America, 2018, she's white, he's black, and now it's suspected of being some sort of a racial motivation, at least according to those who see race in everything. So there are protests going on in Dallas, not just because of the a tra- tragedy of it all and the sadness of it all, but because of perceived racial connotations involved in it. So it's just a really terrible story. D- uh, Demetric Penny, sergeant in Dallas, uh, is close to the story. He'll he can, he'll tell us what he's able to. I'm sure he can't tell us everything because it's an ongoing investigation, but we'll get what we can out of that terrible story. So that's coming up at 9:35, and then at 10:05, Ryan Morrow joins us once again. We haven't talked to Ryan in a couple of weeks because last week at this very time, last Wednesday, we were in Washington D.C. or at least I was. And I was talking to wall-to-wall immigration guests at the Federation of Americans for Immigration Reform. But today, Ryan Morrow is back with us. He, of course, is our national security analyst from the Clarion Project. And today, uh, Ryan's going to talk to us about a number of issues, including 17 years after 9-11. We did a special commemorative 9-11 show yesterday, for the most part. Uh, I saw a report, and I didn't discuss this yesterday, indicating that al-Qaeda, uh, may be right now at a str- the strongest level it has been since we first went uh, into uh, Afghanistan and Iraq after that, of course, which is a different animal altogether. But, but uh, you know, the fight that we have had against Islamic extremists and the fight that we have had against uh, ISIS in particular has kind of taken the focus for a lot of people off of Af- uh, uh, al-Qaeda. And according to, again, at least one report, Al-Qaeda has reconstituted and become a very, very strong force yet again. We'll also talk to Ryan about the New Mexico terror group, um, five Muslim extremists um, now charged with trying to force underfed, malnourished, and mistreated kids into becoming school shooters as a part of their plot uh, in the United States. Uh, They are facing charges. We'll get into that. As well as um, there's a renewed battle in Syria. Uh, Syria is threatening chemical weapons, according to some, and Ambassador Nikki Haley is warning Russia, which backs Syria, as well as Iran, uh, over um, over uh, that issue. And, uh, of course, the United States is taking that very, very seriously, warning that if Iran, or excuse me, if uh, Syria uses chemical weapons against anyone again, that the consequences are going to be more dire than they were the last time they did so. So looking forward to those conversations. Dimitri Penny at 935. And... Uh, 
We will talk to Ryan Morrow coming up at 10.05. I want to start with civility, though, today. I want to start with the issue of violence being carried out sometimes upon the order of Democrats like Maxine Waters, like Chris Cuomo. You might say, well, Chris Cuomo, he's not, what are you talking about? He's a CNN uh, news anchor and commentator. Yeah, well, he's a Democrat because he carries the water for the Democrats. He's masquerading as a journalist on CNN. So let's be honest about that. And when he tells uh, people on the left to punch people on the right that they disagree with because you have right on your side, because, uh, because not all punches are created equally, I think those kinds of things can be taken as instructions to commit violent acts. This is what President Trump's talking about, too. said, you let, you let the Democrats win, you're asking for violence. Because the Democrats are going to be emboldened by this kind of thing. This is, this is what the president got criticized by the left for naturally when he talked about this. You're asking for violence. Now Steve Scalise, the majority whip uh, in the uh, House, uh, is accusing Democrats and the political left in particular, whether they identify as Democrats or just uh, liberals, or progressives, leftists, um, they are inciting violence. Nothing, uh, or excuse me, uh, and by the way, Steve Scalise, it should be noted, of course, has a lot of experience with and since he barely survived the politically charged assassination attempt on his life and others at that uh, Republican baseball practice in July of last year. So he knows what he's talking about. Remember that nut job Bernie Sanders acolyte uh, took that high-powered rifle and uh, found a nice high spot to shoot from down in the Republican baseball practice after confirming that it was the Republican team and started shooting. Only the presence of a couple of Capitol officers who were there to protect specifically Steve Scalise, a member of leadership, had he not been a member of leadership, Lord knows how many people would have died that day. But they were there because of Steve Scalise and because, uh, you know, leadership gets uh, personal protection. And thankfully, they were able to shoot and take out that, uh, uh, that assassin. But anyway, uh, noting the recent instances of violence against Republican Scalise said that some on the left are inciting this. And frankly, they should be called out on it. He made these comments on an episode of Republican Wisconsin Representative Sean Duffy's podcast called Plaidcast, which aired on Friday, just making the rounds today. Scalise said, you've got some people on the left that just want this idea of resist and ignore the fact that Trump is the president. They want to interrupt the ability of Congress to do its job. And, of course, you've got death threats and literal attacks on lives. And, frankly, I want to see the left stand up to this. Almost as in response to Scalise's comments, we have a couple of stories. A California man reported yesterday was arrested after he tried to stab a Republican that is running for Congress with a switchblade. Law enforcement responded to the knife attack at 3.45 p.m. on Sunday at the Castro Valley Fall Festival, the Alameda County Sheriff's Office said in a statement yesterday. Farzad Fazeli of Castro Valley, California, reportedly insulted the GOP, then approached a political candidate at his booth in an aggressive manner with a knife. He pulled a switchblade-style knife out, according to the report, and tried to stab Republican Rudy Peters, 
who is a Navy veteran who is running against Eric Swalwell in the state's 15th congressional district. There was a physical struggle before the two men, or between the two men, rather, before Fizelli fled the scene. He was arrested shortly thereafter and booked on suspicion of felony assault, brandishing a weapon, criminal threats, and the possession of that switchblade knife. But if you think that's it, you'd you'd be sadly mistaken. Because, again, almost in response to Steve Scalise, warning about the threats of Democrat, liberal, leftist violence committed against Republicans, Trump supporters, upon the orders of Maxine Waters, Antifa, and yes, the media, like Chris Cuomo, we have another one. A supporter of the DSA has threatened to shoot up a Make America Great Again event at the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. What is the DSA, you ask? The DSA would be the organization that supports the likes of Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and other socialists, because the DSA is the Democratic Socialists of America. Law enforcement officials with the Metropolitan D.C. Police um, our Metropolitan Police Department, rather, have opened an investigation in response to this threat, which was posted on Twitter yesterday. I'm coming with a gun, the tweet reads, and I expect to get numerous blood-stained MAGA hats as trophies. That was the tweet that was sent to right-wing pundit Cassandra Fairbanks. The account used the DSA logo as its profile picture and added an emoji of a rose to its name, which is common among DSA supporters. Shortly after the threat was posted, the owner of the account appears to have changed the Twitter handle, according to Fairbanks. Entering the account's original Twitter Twitter handle into Twitter search bar brings up an account that appears to be the same user. And so now D.C. police have launched an investigation. The threat comes after news broke on Tuesday of the story I just told you about the knife attack on a GOP candidate in California. To say that the left is not taking Donald Trump's victory over Hillary Clinton from nearly two full years ago very well might be an understatement. These people are lunatics. They have lost all sense of reason, of, of, of rational behavior. They, they are just off the deep end. Now, does this mean all Democrats and all liberals are out there ready to commit violence? Of course not. But there are enough of them that Steve Scalise is right. It's time for the left to call this out. It's time for somebody in Democrat leadership to push back on the likes of Maxine Waters, who is encouraging this type of behavior. Where are you, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi? Where are you, Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez? It's time to call this out and call for an end to this. Because, yes, you will be wearing it if you don't. 920 now. We'll come back and get some of your phone calls going at 216-901-0945 on AM 1420 The Answer. Gallagher. Weekday mornings at 11 on AM 1420. The answer. 925 now, the Bob France Authority indeed. AM 1420, the answer. Phone lines are open to you at 216-901-0945. You may also dial 888-281-1110 in order to get through. Either one of those will work. Don't forget, use Twitter and Facebook at your peril. Twitter and Facebook, particularly Twitter, is poison. 
It is an absolutely toxic environment that I am disgusted to be a part of. And I'm, I tweeted, I'm, I just get so tired of this. I mean, honestly, I mean, every, you know, I did Dennis Prager the other day, right? I did the Dennis Prager show, as you know, on Monday. And usually when I do the national show, uh, a whole bunch of people who have never heard me before, uh, you know, like what I'm saying and, and are interested in engaging with me and they follow me on Twitter. I almost always get a great big bump in Twitter followers whenever I do one of the national shows. And I did, again, uh, about 150 more Twitter followers. And um, sure enough, lo and behold, yesterday it was dropped down by 110. Let me say that again. Twitter is toxic. It is poison. It is censorship. It is fraud. They take Twitter followers away from lib- from uh, conservative people. They promote liberals. They censor conservative speech. It happens again and again and again. Jack Dorsey, honestly, I, you know, look, I, we talked about this with a, a guest uh, two weeks ago who um, essentially, you know, had evidence of this, you know, this Twitter censorship, and yet she said she does not support the idea of governmental regulation of Twitter or of any of the social media platforms, which is tough for us. As conservatives, we believe in what President Trump has done with deregulation of businesses around the country, and as a result, profits are up, and expansion is happening, hiring is happening, wages are going up. It's fantastic. So we, we don't like regulation. On the other hand, Twitter is such an influential tool. The President of the United States uses it as, as his press arm. I mean, seriously, he uses Twitter more than he uses his, his press uh, department, you know, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders or anybody else. It's a very, very important tool, and it's extraordinarily difficult for conservatives to get a fair shake on it. It's terrible. And so as bad as it is, we have to use it, and we have to stay on it in order to, uh, uh, you know, to not surrender to the propaganda of the left. It's just a terrible situation to find ourselves in. It really is. I wish Twitter did not exist. I think this country would be better off if Twitter did not exist. I think there is more hatred, more animosity, more judgment, more threats, more, more everything negative because of the existence of that social media platform. It is just that bad. And as much as I don't want regulation of businesses, I want the government to step in and regulate Twitter. I want to make it mandatory that they allow all free speech, whether it's conservative or otherwise. And the only thing that should be prevented, of course, is actual terror recruitment and uh, and the ability to coordinate uh, around the world by way of a platform like this, uh, terrorists. And we know those kind of things happen. But that's it. Defining and deciding what hate speech is, it cannot be left up to an organization that is admittedly left-leaning. And that's a gentle way of saying they're, f- they're blatant, far-raging liberals. So anyway, that's a long way of saying, if you must be on it, follow me and we'll discuss things together at Radio Done Right on Twitter. Radio Done Right. And Facebook, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. I think Facebook is a little bit less onerous when it comes to this uh, than Twitter is, but they have their own problems as well. So make sure you follow me in those places. All right, um, here's what we're going to do. We've got news coming up here in uh, less than a minute. On the other side, we're going to talk about a terrible, terrible story uh, from Dallas, Texas. It's just it's 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 hard to believe. Police officer by the name of Amber Geiger, a woman uh, who has uh, been a veteran uh, a Dallas police officer, walked into the apartment um, that according to her story and the arresting officer, she thought 
was her own. She walked into an apartment that was not hers, but that she thought was. And when she saw a figure in there, she thought she had walked in on a burglary. And she shot the figure. Turns out it was his apartment. Botham Shem Jean uh, is now deceased. And uh, this particular officer has been arrested. She's been arrested. She's awaiting uh, charges. She is, well, let me rephrase. She's being charged with manslaughter, but she is awaiting an indictment uh, from a grand jury. And uh, now there are a whole lot of questions surrounding this terrible story. That's in Dallas, Texas. And that's why we're going to go to Demetric Penny, Sergeant Demetric Penny of the Dallas Police Department, to get the latest on this coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 934. Now the Bob France Authority does indeed continue. 216-901-0945, the number for you to join us. 888-281-1110, though. Uh, before you dial, though, I want to make sure you uh, give me a little bit of time here to talk to my next guest. He's been a frequent guest on this program. He's a frequent guest on a lot of national and local programs because of his experience. He's a 19-year veteran of the Dallas Police Department, president of the Dallas Fallen Officer Foundation, and the executive director of the Texas Fallen Officer Foundation as well. He also has a doctorate degree in higher, higher education. Uh, Sergeant Demetric Penny coming back with us here on AM 1420, The Answer. Sergeant, good to talk to you from Dallas. How are you, sir? Sergeant Penny, can you hear me? Okay, I don't think we have Sergeant Penny up. Uh, we got that pot up over there. Sergeant Penny, can you hear me? I can hear you. There he is. Now we got him. Okay, good. Good to have you back. You know, I said something uh, at the top of the show, Sergeant, that um, I always love talking to you because you're just a great guy and, and you're always full of great information, but I always hate why I have to talk to you. I don't think I've ever talked to you about anything fun. We talked about the ambush and the murder of five Dallas officers two years ago. We talked about the, uh, you know, uh, some of the other horrific statements uh, against law enforcement from the, na- the national perspective as more and more cops are being ambushed, targeted, uh, and, and executed uh, than ever before. The Ferguson effect. We always talk about terrible things, man. And, and now here you are again. As great as it is to talk to you, we have to talk about a terrible incident that just happened down in your city. That's bad news. Yes, sir. You know what? Unfortunately, that's the the state that we're living in right now is pretty uh it's tough across the board for especially for law enforcement i mean anytime something happens involving law enforcement you're going to see um you know these these situations are going to get heated across the board so uh, yeah. i think it's important for every law enforcement officer to know which which times we're living in you know it's just uh no more of the you know you, you used to hear uh narrative narrative about the blue shield and and you know this code of silence that existed, man. That doesn't exist anymore. That's that's gone. So you know when we we're gonna have this just like you're gonna go into this discussion now. But I, I do want to point out that that when we talk about transparency, transparency is not uh, you know as law enforcement we just come out and start talking. You know transparency is we let you know what's going on with the investigation every step of the way. And I think that's where the general public is getting lost in this discussion, and it's really hurting us. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Sergeant Penny. So, um, so let's talk about the latest uh, terrible, terrible situation. You know, this is uh, this is one of those things where, on its face, it shouldn't even be a police issue, 
what happened uh, in in this uh, in this incident that we're going to discuss uh, the shooting of uh, of Botham Shem Jean, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Uh, may he rest in peace and um, and the comfort of God be with his family. Uh, he's uh, he's he's a he's a shooting victim. It, it it's it to me it's it's if it's real if it's if the story is what the shooter who happens to be uh, a police officer named Amber Geiger. If if the shooting is what she says it is, then the, the police issue here isn't even an issue. It's just an absolutely tragic, mistaken situation. Um, but because she is a police officer, we have the police shooting narrative being advanced, which is, of course, America in 2018. And because she's white and Botham Shemjean is black, we also have the racial narrative that we have to deal with as well. So let me just let me just run it down as as I understand it from news reports and from the arresting officer's statement, Sergeant, and then tell me what you can, and I know you can't say everything because it's an open investigation. But her story is, and the arresting officer presented it as such, she came home late at night off of her shift, still in her dress uniform, and she get parked on the fourth floor parking garage of uh, the apartment building in which she lives and came in on that level, mistakenly, uh, instead of parking on the third floor and coming in on the third floor level, because she lives on the third floor. Uh, Botham Shemjean lives on the fourth floor, directly above her. Uh, according to the report, the hallways are identical, and she went right to the apartment door, which would have been hers, should have been heard, tried to open the door, um, and it was supposedly slightly ajar, and when she put tried to put the key in it, it pushed it open. So she went in thinking it's her place, saw a silhouetted figure, a shadowed figure, because it's dark in there, thought she was interrupting a robbery of her own place, gave instructions that were ignored by the individual. As you can imagine, it's his apartment, but she didn't know that according to this part of the story and when uh when uh he didn't do what she said she shot him shot fired twice hit him once and 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 it's just a terrible tragic case of a of a person coming off of a shift who may have been dreary weary fatigued who knows we have to see what the investigation turns up may have been under the influence of something as far as we know but the, but it's just a terrible accident she went into the wrong place had a total misunderstanding and then shot him now, that's the narrative that they're offering. It is not, however, the only story that's being told. Pick it up from there, Sergeant, and tell me what it is as you understand it. Well, without getting too much into, into the investigation itself. Um, you know, I know you can't do that. I, yeah, I, my, I mean, yeah. I mean, my, and my heart goes out to this family. I mean, look, I, I know this young lady. Um, I mean, she's a young officer, and, and I can tell you that what's being proliferated right now in terms of it being a racial situation, I just don't see it. Not not from, not from her. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what was, you know, I don't know what could have potentially been the relationship there or, or what that was, but uh, I just don't, I just can't see that being a racial situation as being promoted through social media. Now, you got to remember, just like we talked about this transparency thing, Bob, um, you know, the, the immediately when it happened, when it came out and, and they knew it was a police officer involved, um, you, and you know who some of these some of these social media uh, um, uh, radicals are that, that they were even behind the, the Black Lives Matter push when it happened back in 2016. But, you know, they immediately went on online and they attached it to that narrative. You know, uh, a white police officer kills black man in his own home. And that just took off. Now, whenever that happens, that puts law enforcement at a disadvantage because they don't even know all the facts. They still have to conduct their investigation. 
And while they're doing that, you, you have the, the the social media mob that has already engaged, that's already moving forward toward attacking a specific narrative. So now, so what, what ended up happening subsequent to that, uh, so that the, the police department could be uh, impartial in this whole situation and make sure that, that, that a fair investigation is, is conducted, they asked for the Texas Rangers to step in. Now, because the Texas and when when Texas Ranger gets involved, I mean that that's that's pretty big here in the state of Texas. Um, but that does show that the agency is that if uh, Sergeant Sergeant, let me interrupt for a second. Is that standard operating yeah. procedure though to bring in the Rangers if it is? You know, it, otherwise it would be the Dallas police investigating one of their own. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well otherwise it would be the Dallas police. Uh, investigating their own. We, you know, Dallas Police Department does have its public integrity unit. Uh, whenever there's a shooting involving an officer, there's a, um, you know, um, a shooting investigative unit that, that investigates these, uh, an SIU unit that takes care of those type of investigations. But in this situation, I think this was specifically done um, so that we can avoid what happened in Ferguson. I think this was done to, to say, hey, we're going to give you transparency, but we have to give it to someone else. But I think the public wanted answers right here, right now, and that was, and, and we got a, an ex, another agency that steps in. That kind of slows the investigation down because that's going to say, "Hey, look, we need to know everything before we give it to the public." And and you, what you got is two different factions that's pushing against each other. One is pushing for for time and transparency, and the other one is looking for thoroughness and and trying to get the investigation done and getting it out there. And and look, it's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be hard. Sure. These past two weeks. Have been have been. I mean, I'm sorry. These past two days have been uh, marred by controversy and 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 radicalized protests. These radicalized protests have, have they've already started. They've already started. We're seeing a remake of where we were in in 2016. I I'm not, I take it back to before 2016. Let's take it back to to uh, Ferguson. Yeah, this that's is, 2014. This is along the lines where yeah. Yeah, that that's how insightful this situation is becoming because the public doesn't know how to respond because of social media. Everyone else is proliferating their own messages out there, what they think happened, and it's creating a dangerous environment for these police officers who are simply trying to do the job. These officers have you know, I, nothing to do with this, and they're just trying to go home, but they have to keep the peace. I, I could not agree with you more, Sergeant. It's it, you know, social. I, I, it's funny. I went on a social media rant before you came on for an entirely different reason about how dangerous social media is. And I honestly swear to you, I feel that the United States was a better place before Twitter was invented. Absolutely. I really do. I, I think it's a dangerous, mm-hmm. dangerous place for people to be. I think people are inspired to do things they would not do otherwise uh, because their anger is ginned up by other people. It's a judgment zone, and yes, people make their judge, judgments about situations with. Without having the facts, all of them, or even some of them, in many cases, and 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 it puts people in danger, especially officers. Um, back to this particular case, let me ask you this: You said you did know Amber Geiger, or do know her rather? Not as you, she wasn't she wasn't in your unit or, or anything of that nature. Um, but can you tell me how Dallas officers, as you know, as a whole, uh, how they're dealing with this, how they feel about it, what the morale is right now? Because this is obviously sh- such a, a tragic situation for the family of the deceased, uh, and a shocking situation for officers when they find out what happened here. So how how are the other officers that, that you're around in Dallas dealing with this? Yes, 
right. I mean, this is difficult. This is difficult. I mean, everyone's hurting right now. Everyone, we, no one can believe what we're dealing with. We can't even believe that this happened. Um, you, you know, and you won't find a bigger law enforcement advocate than me. You won't find a bigger community uh, supporter than me. But at the same time, I'm torn. I don't know what happened. Right. I, nobody knows what happened. And you know what? Listen, if an officer made a mistake, look, we don't want anything to happen to this officer. All we want is, that, is, is for there to be accountability. That officer would even want accountability for herself. Right? This is the person that I know would even want. If, they made a, if she made a mistake, I think she's going to have the onus to say, I made a mistake, and then allow, her, allow herself to be accountable for that. We realize that this is such a dangerous situation, but this is not, you know, nobody's trying to hide anything. I mean, you know, realistically, everyone, every officer is trying to be, trying to hold it together. Because they're, they're torn in between, look, the accountability aspect, uh, we want anyone, any officer that does anything wrong, we, we don't want any, any officer that does something wrong among our ranks, right? We don't want... We don't want that looming over us because it directly impacts us, you know, impacts them, those sure. officers being able to do their jobs in the field. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we want to feel, you know, we, we're all empathetic to the fact that someone lost their life unnecessarily. This did not have to happen. But there's just simply not enough evidence, not enough information for anyone to make a cognizant determination of, of how they need to feel right now. So... At this yeah. point, I would just ask everyone to, hey, look, remain neutral until we figure out what the facts are. This should not be the time for individuals to be rallying around these radicalized causes and attacking the police. This is not it, because the police department had absolutely nothing to do with this. There's a young lady that got... Well, that's kind of that's kind of the, the the thing that I said when you started, and, I, and I'll follow up on that now, Sergeant, because you're right. I mean, any homeowner, as we know, has uh, the right to protect themselves in their home. And any she could have been a, a clerk at a grocery store uh, instead of a police officer who had a concealed right. carry permit, who came home and saw her place being burglarized, or what she thought was her home being burglarized or robbed. And if she pulled out a gun and shot him, she would have been well within her rights to do that. So this isn't a police police shooting per se, because anybody, any citizen would have had the right to do this. However, if it wasn't that, if, if, if because here's the, here's the problem, as you pointed out, we don't know all the facts yet. The family of the deceased, uh, Botham uh, uh, Shem Jean, say that they have two witnesses in the building who tell them that they heard uh, knocking on a door, hard knocking on the door, followed by a woman's voice yelling, let me in, let me in. They believe it may have been her, which would indicate that she knew who that it was in her apartment and that she knew who he was, and she was trying to get in, which indicated maybe there was a bit of a relationship there. Now, all of this is 100% speculative because this is just what the family says. These witnesses haven't testified under oath. They haven't been sworn. Uh, they haven't been deposed. They didn't speak to the grand jury. But the point is, we don't know if this was a relationship issue between the two. If it was, it should pretty much remove the racism or race angle from it if the two of them had a, a relationship, friendly or otherwise. And if it was an accident and a wrong apartment thing, it still isn't a racial issue. And yet you have, from what I understand, a lot of protesting going down there on down there in Dallas right now based on race. Yes, yes. And I want to tell you something, though. This is what I think most people are going to... Because of the, the publicity surrounding this, 
Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee you, just like they did with the with like we talked about the Ferguson report, yeah. the exact same thing will happen here. Someone will re- will in- will request the DOJ conduct its own investigation. Mm-hmm. Somewhere it's just gonna. I, we can almost guarantee that that's gonna happen because of what what's being proliferated through the narrative, through through the media, social media, and how everyone has created has created all this conjuncture to make people believe that there's something that's being covered up. They're going to automatically, I can tell you right now, these attorneys are going to ask for that very thing. Well, right? that, that, well oh, unless exactly. she's convicted, unless she's charged and convicted, if, 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 she is acqui- if she's charged and acquitted, or if she doesn't go to trial at all, which I can't imagine she wouldn't, but if, you know, then they would say, yeah, we need, we need the federal, the feds to, to do their own investigation here. But I think if they, if they charge her and they convict her of manslaughter or worse, that will probably satisfy, I would imagine, right, those who, uh, you know, those who are demanding justice. Well, and we, we say that, right? They, initially, initially you had individuals saying, oh, we just want her, her to be charged. We want her to be charged. And then after mm-hmm. they charged her, with manslaughter, then you had the, the the second part of the faction saying, "Hey, uh, this should be murder." Yeah, why yeah. would we charge her with murder? So now you're not going to be able to please everybody, and I just I just hope that heads can remain calm until everyone until the investigation is completed. I know people want well, that's what the right here, right now. That's why I'm sorry we we got a little delay here in our signal, so that's why we're talking over each other. But but we have to wrap it here. But that's what the grand jury's job is going to be to decide what to charge her with, if anything. And I'm sure it will be something, either manslaughter or murder, based on the evidence that they are able to collect to find out if there was a relationship there. Something that that pardon the pun here when I say this, but shoots holes through the idea that it was just a mistaken apartment situation. And the grand jury has that job in front of them, which of course is the next step. And I, I I agree with you, Sergeant. I'm calling on everybody to stop making judgments ahead of time, let the situation work itself out, figure out uh, you know, what the facts are by way of the grand jury, and then, if you want to protest, and then, if you want to talk about police behavior and so on and so forth, that's a conversation that can be had. Sergeant Dimitri Penny, Dallas Police, Fallen Officer Foundation President as well. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I wish it was under better circumstances, but I thank you so much for your insights. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Sergeant. Sergeant Dimitri Penny joining us. It's 951. We'll catch up now and get to your phone calls next, hopefully right here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 956, now short segment here uh, to wrap up the first hour. Don't forget Ryan Morgan will join us after the top of the next hour. A really interesting part of the story that I just discussed with uh, Sergeant Penny down in Dallas. Um, the issue regarding manslaughter versus murder uh, in, uh, in this case with Amber Geiger, the uh, 30-year-old female police officer uh, shooting uh, Botham Shemjean uh, in his own apartment uh, after apparently mistaking the apartment for her own. Same apartment, same place in the hallway, just different floor, one floor uh, higher. The manslaughter law in Texas does not require the DA to establish intent, only that the shooter, in this case Geiger, acted in a reckless manner. Geiger would have had to would have to establish a reasonable use of self defense, but that runs into one big problem. She initiated the confrontation by illegally entering Jean's apartment, even if she didn't intend to do that. That's key. 
In Texas, the self-defense statute requires that a person using lethal force did not provoke the person against whom that force was used. And clearly she did provoke the uh, force, uh, uh, or provoke the, uh, uh, the, the confrontation, if you will, because she went into the wrong place. That would pretty much uh, destroy the self-defense claim, even if uh, Jean presented a reasonable threat to her. You know, she ordered him to do something. He ignored that order, as he certainly could have and should have. It's his place. He's wondering what the heck somebody's doing in there. So if he rushed her, he's probably thinking he's got to stop an intruder. Not his fault. She can't say self-defense if he did try to attack her because she provoked it by going into the wrong place, whether it was accidental or otherwise. So it's a very difficult situation to try to ferret out. And I really hope people follow Sergeant Penny's advice and just watch it and read it and listen to it rather than trying to prejudge it because it's going to be, um, you know, that's, that's going to lead to a lot of headaches. And it happens all across the country, of course. It really leads to a lot of problems for police, especially when people prejudge these kinds of cases. Uh, Paul is in uh, Hinkley. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Paul, go right ahead. Hey, Bob, this is a little bit off uh, the, the idea which what subjects are on today, but every time you, it seems conservative radio contacts somebody that's actually very conservative or have really good information, it seems like the technical difficulties get in the way. It's, and it's not just your program. It's a lot of everywhere I've, I listen to. And I just wonder if, you know, we're talking about uh, Twitter and controlling some of the airwaves, and I'm, I don't want to be, you know, one out there with an aluminum hat, but it seems, I don't know if it's a problem with the, what's going on, but it seems like well, you, you got cut out a little bit with Penny on there today. Yeah, no, I can. I, listen, I understand your 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 thinking here, uh, and when it comes to the social media, it's very clear that that happens. Uh, in fact, I've got another story on that next hour that I'm going to talk about. But as it pertains to the radio, no, that that's just that's just cell phone issues. Um, truthfully, we certain providers connected to certain other providers, there may be a half to a full second, maybe even a second and a half delay, and so the other person doesn't know when the other person's done talking, and they start talking, and then they keep going, and then there's some halting and stopping. No, there's no conspiracy there. I, I get your thought process because of the way we conservatives are censored by technology, particularly online. But no, uh, I have that happen when I have regular guests who aren't conservative or anything else. When I've got somebody on a certain cell phone connection from a certain part of the country, too, there's just a delay. What I say isn't heard by them until a second, second and a half later. And when they speak, I'm not hearing it either. Kind of like a television satellite hookup. When they talk to somebody from across the country, if New York is talking to L.A., you'll notice the person in L.A. is standing there listening for about three or four seconds of silence as the signal is transmitted to them by way of satellite. That can also be a case with certain cellular connections. So I get your point, but no, I'll, I'll put that conspiracy idea to bed. That's just uh, that's just the limits of, uh, of cell technology. Thanks for the call. Uh, Ryan Morrow joins us next to talk national security on a number of fronts from the Clarion Project coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Can't you see what that Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.